0: This morning we are studying to me that's one of the most interesting chapters in the book of Revelation we're gonna have two topics mainly I want to talk about the location of the temple and uh, dr. house who is working on a PhD in archaeology now will be checking out what I say here and what I find but basically I think we find in chapter 11 clues as to how this temple can re- be rebuilt Be rebuilt while there's still a Dome of the Rock here. Okay, that's kind of a novel concept because most people think that the temple, the Jewish temple, must that something has to happen to the Dome of the Rock before the temple can be there. And I want to show you hidden in the scripture what I think is a secret as to why there will be a temple that will be alongside of the Dome of the Rock. I think it's in this. Secondly, we're going to look at these two superheroes, these two witnesses that come along which brought me down memory lane this week as I remembered stories my mother told me of Elijah. And somehow they've all become convoluted in my mind where the stories of Elijah mixed with Aesop's fables and the the honest woodman and all this kind of stuff. And it's made me think sweetly about my mom, how she loved to teach me God's word. So if you didn't know, the temple was destroyed. The second temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Does everybody aware of that, that there is no temple in Israel right now? In 69 A.D., there was a character named Nero. Nero was a nut. You can remember N stands for the nut Nero. Uh, he was a terrible person, persecuted Christians greatly. Emperor of Rome. He was the emperor of Rome, sorry. And he sent a general. In, in 63 A.D., the Jews revolted. They were back over in Judea trying to, to put them all down. Nero sent people. He sent Vespasian there, Vespasian was a general. Well, Vespasian got there and in 69 AD, he got news that Nero had committed suicide. So in typical Roman fashion, he raced back to Rome where he took control of the throne, made himself emperor, and he had a son named Titus. And he sent Titus in 70 AD, sent Titus to destroy Jerusalem. So we're done with these Jews, we're finished with them, we're gonna go and we're gonna wipe this place out and we're gonna burn it to the ground. Now, interestingly enough, Titus was the general and when I was in Rome, we, we visited Rome a few years ago with our friends, and I saw the thing that impressed me the most was the Ark of Titus, okay? It's there in Rome. And that is a picture of it there that you can see. And in this, and in this Ark, this is sitting there near the, what they call Via Sacra or the Holy Way, the sacred way in Rome, there is an inscription there with pictures of the sacking of Jerusalem. This is so fascinating because when the state of Israel was reconstituted, they had no pictures of what a menorah would have looked like. And the Jews went back to Rome and they looked at this stone, which is in that Ark of Titus, and they found the menorah and they've used it for all of their national symbols that they have in the state of Israel today. I think it's kind of amazing to me how incredible God is, as Skip Kronstich, my neighbor would say, how odd of God that he would put his menorah, which he designed there in Rome on that ark, and guess what, Rome no longer is, in the state of Israel is. God never forgets his own. That is a testimony, guys, that should make your hair stand on end God never forgot his own. They actually came back here to look at the vestiges of them being conquered. And the whole state of Israel now has come up and is built on the symbol that is on that ark of Titus. That is amazing. Now, Titus ends up dying. And Titus had a brother named Domitian. And Domitian, some some scholars think he was as bad as Nero. It was a great time of persecution for Christians. And he is the one that exiled John to Patmos, and now we're reading John's letter that he wrote down while he was on Patmos. I just thought this is a strange sequence of events knit together, and here we are today studying. We're briefly mentioning the Romans, aren't we? But we're studying word for word the vision that God gave John on Patmos. I just think it's amazing how out of God To begin to understand the first part that we're going to read today about the location of the temple, we have to go to Daniel chapter 9, 25 through 27. I have it up front if you don't want to turn to it. Know therefore and understand, this is Daniel receiving a vision from the Lord, that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there should be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's 69 weeks. And it's going to be weeks of years, which equal 483 years. And it is exactly 483 years from the point when a command went forth to restore and build Jerusalem that Jesus showed up on Palm Sunday and walked into Jerusalem. Many, many Jews have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus through this verse that is in here. And Rabbi Daniel, who came and spoke to us, said when he was a boy, he was instructed, don't read Daniel. It's too complicated for us to understand. Well, that is why, because it has encoded in it the message of when Jesus the Messiah would come here, and it's exactly to the date that was told in this. And then it says, and the street will be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after 62 weeks, that's the 62 plus the seven, which equals the 483 years, Messiah shall be cut off. How was the Messiah cut off when he came? He was crucified. But not for himself and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with one with many for one week. That means for a seven-year period. So what scholars believe is that this is a prophecy that one will come up that is the Antichrist, that will be loved by the whole world, seen as the solution to the world's problems. We can even see now people calling out for a one-world government, yearning for this one person that knows enough to put it all together and keep it all together, and he will make a covenant with the Jewish people, and he's going to make a covenant to rebuild the temple. That will be the third temple. But in the middle of the week, that's in a a three-and-a-half-year period, He will bring an end to the sacrifices and offerings and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. That's very cryptic and odd, but basically what it's saying is this. Look up at the screen. We have 483 years. Okay, right here. It's from that prophecy. It's seven weeks and 62. That equals 483 years to when Jesus came, and then the Messiah was cut off, and then there will be another week, says Daniel. Now there's a gap in there, because when Jesus ascended into heaven, and the church received the Holy Spirit, that's when the church age began. So there's this long pause in there, there's this gap, when the Lord has made available to you and me, to the Gentile people, his salvation. We've come to Christ, that's why we're sitting here today in the grove, it came to us. But at some point in time, which can happen next week or it can happen in a hundred years or a thousand, God's people will be taken into heaven in what's called the rapture. And that will begin the seventh week, okay? And you can see here, that would be the point of the rapture. And then there will be this one week period in the middle of which the covenant will be broken and worship for the Jews will cease. So the question we're going to first address today is how... Could the temple be rebuilt with things as we see them in the world today, all right? So open to Revelation chapter 11, and let's read verse one. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. A reed back then was a surveyor's stake, okay? It was a reed like a piece of bamboo, and the angel stood saying, rise, measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. Listen to this. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot 42 months. So the angel is telling John to take a rod and to go measure where the temple is. And he's saying to him the part that used to be included in the temple which was an outer court he's saying it's not going to be there. So you wonder well why would it not be there? Well, it's not going to be there, I think, and I think you'll see in a minute, because this Antichrist is going to allow a temple to be built, and there's going to be a wall of separation that will separate the Jewish temple. you're looking at me, Dr. House, like maybe I'm way off somewhere. We'll talk later, I'm sure. But it's going to be a wall of separation between the profane and the holy. Look with me right here in Ezekiel 42.20. The man of sin this antichrist will make the covenant with israel and scripture tells us that a wall will be built around it separating the holy from the common or the profane so what i think is going to happen y'all is that the temple is going to be restored and built and it's going to be restored and built right on the temple mount as it sits today and this was unheard of the first time that we went to israel i want you to look at this this is the Dome of the Rock. Have y'all seen these pictures before? Okay, well, i heard a note. So this is the Temple Mount, Tim. This is the Dome of the Rock. And the conventional wisdom has been that the temple was right here. And that this this is where it's gonna have to be rebuilt. I was told that as a child, but I said, we're gonna watch and wait and see how God is gonna move the Dome of the Rock so a temple can be there. But I think something else is going to happen there's a little cupola right here Do you see this and it's called in Arabic the dome of the spirits and the dome of the tablets all right we went and saw it and we're kind of amazed when we saw it and at that time there was whisperings we were there in the late 90s and there were whisperings because a Jewish archaeologist Dr. Asher Kaufman you might know him Dr. House I don't know He's a professor of physics at Hebrew University. In 1983, he published an article in the Biblical Archaeological Review. And Dr. Kaufman says that the original temple was not where the Dome of the Rock is, but it was right here. Isn't that interesting? And the cupola of the tablets and spirits is right here. You're going, Faber, why does this matter? I just think it's interesting how God continues to reveal things to us. And Dr. Kaufman said not only was the second temple there, which was Herod's temple, but he says that Solomon's temple was there also, and he actually shows it a few degrees off from the other one. Why does Dr. Kaufman think that this is where the temple was? This is the Golden Gate. It doesn't make any sense that the Golden Gate, which was there when Jesus was there, would have been over there coming through it and then coming here to go up the temple. You would have come, Jesus would have walked straight up the golden gate and walked right into the temple and the outer courtyard, which was the area for the Gentiles, there's not enough room for it with the dome of the rock there. So perhaps this is what Ezekiel is talking about. I've I've turned the image here so you can see it a little bit better. This end right here is this end. Do you all follow me? And there is the golden gate. There is the dome of the rock. There is the cupola, the Dome of the Spirits and the Tablets. Dr. Kaufman says it's because there is where the Holy of Holies was in the first and second temple. Because remember, the tablets were kept in the Ark of the Covenant. And Isn't it interesting that it's been called this for 2,000 years, and now in Arabic they call it the Dome of the Spirits and the Dome of the Tablets. Something went on there, and I think it was probably the Holy of Holies, okay? And there, of course, is the golden gate to get out. So I just wanted to show this to you. There there it is up close, the Dome of the Spirits. And see how close it is here? So if a temple is built here, and this is the new Holy of Holies, there's gonna be a wall of separation, according to Ezekiel, separating the two. And that shows you, I think, first in chapter 11, that we see that God knows this, and he's giving a clue of this, and showing us that this temple will be rebuilt it's going to be a different kind of a temple than the first and second temple, temple because the court of the Gentiles will not be as big as it was back in the original temples, and that would be a reason why. Let's go on now and talk about the two witnesses. This is my favorite part. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth this is so mysterious and so fantastic these witnesses are to me they're like the superheroes the super jedis in the bible four these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the god of the earth if anyone wants to harm them fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies and if anyone wants to harm them he must be killed in this manner so Zechariah talks and says i see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights are on it with seven channels to it. Also, this is Zechariah 4, 2-3 says, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And then when Zechariah asked the angel what they symbolize, the angel simply responds, not by my might, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. These two witnesses are going to come, guys. I I think God is going to transport them to earth. I don't think they rise from the dead somewhere. I think he puts them on there. We're going to talk about who these two might be. And because he says they're the olive trees, uh, olive trees produce olive oil. Olive oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. I think these two witnesses are going to be like prophets of old that are going to be there on the streets of Jerusalem, and they're going to be untouchable for three and a half years. They are going to be the biggest burden that the human race has to fool with at that time. They're going to be able to call plagues. Anyone that approaches them to to try to kill them is going to get this. All right, (laughs) flamethrowers. You want to get near that thing? I mean, isn't this amazing? But you know what? I believe it's going to happen exactly like we're reading in the Bible. That's what's going to happen. God is letting us see these guys. So who are these witnesses? I got several emails, I talked to uh, a couple, uh, both Pastor Larry and Pastor Dan, who's over at the Assembly of God in Onalaska, uh, believe that Enoch's gonna be one of them because it's appointed once a man to die, and then the judgment. So Pastor Larry and Pastor Dan both think it's gonna be Enoch and probably Elijah. And I told him last night in an email, I'm not gonna call y'all heretics, but I don't agree with you. Because if it's appointed a man once to die, how about Lazarus? He died twice. So, anyway, we have fun with this. The fact of the matter is we really don't know. Others, as I read, think that one of these is going to be John the Baptist. Because remember when John the Baptist walked the earth? Doug, they would come up to him and say, are you Elijah? He said, no, I'm not Elijah. Because the Jews had been promised that Elijah is going to return before the end. That's one thing that we're going to see. All right? So, some think it's John the Baptist. Some think it's Enoch. How about Elijah? Elijah. Elijah is my superhero. As I said when I started, my mom told me stories about Elijah and I later on tried to find them in the Bible and they're not even in there. But they were kinda had things to do with Elijah. My sweet mom would tell me stories of the, the, if you look up on Google, you'll see, not now, but you'll see something called The Honest Woodsman. It's a story by Aesop. It's all the way back from ancient Greece. And my mom wove that in and out of the stories about Elijah and the lost axe head and and it, when I began to read it in the Bible I thought well where's the part about the honest woodsman and the gold axe and the silver axe and the, it's not in there mom just loved to talk, tell me stories and instead of telling me about Superman and everything she told me all about Elijah and him slaying the prophets of Baal and Sandy can tell you when we went to Israel I think one of the most exciting points for me was up on Mount Carmel I said man this is right where it happened he went down and he killed him there by the Kishon Creek. and I mean, I was there when I was thinking about Elijah. So I'm just going to say, since I'm pastor of the church, I believe one of them is going to be Elijah. But the Bible Bible doesn't say, okay? Some say it could be John the Beloved. Sitting here looking for my glasses and they're on my head. John the Beloved. Anyway, what's going to happen with these two? What are their powers going to be like? These have the power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. That's why I think... Perhaps one of them will be Elijah. They will also have power over waters to turn them to blood. Who was it that God used to turn waters to blood back in Egypt? Moses, Moses right? So my guess, and, and to strike the earth with all plagues. Who was the in charge, who did God send? Moses, so often as they desired. So I pulled out of scripture, 1 Kings 17. Yes, Dr. House, I'm supporting my theory. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years except by my word. So Elijah kind of has a history of stopping the rain. All right. And we know that these guys are going to be part of all these plagues and all of the judgments that are going to come on the earth. And then look over in Exodus 7. And Moses and Aaron did so. Just as the Lord commanded, so he lifted up the rod, struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. I got, I I just, sorry, I had to make a slide about Elijah the superhero. Tells my mama told me. She took this out of 2 Kings 6, one, and it's the story of it. It says, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. And I know this is not in our text, but I just have, had to put this in today. The iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, it was borrowed. This guy goes, Oh, no, I've lost my axe head, and it was borrowed. What am I going to do? So Elijah, that's the man of God, said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. He cut off a stick and threw it in there, and he made the iron float. Therefore, he said, pick it up yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. My mother took that little story and made many, many tales that she'd put me to sleep by about Elijah and his cape. I thought his cape was like Superman's cape. And she especially liked to tell me, she said, you know, when Elijah was commissioning Elisha, she said that Elisha, he gave him his cloak to put over him and then Elisha wanted a double portion. And my mom would say to me things like, And there's a double portion for you too if you take that. And I just think that was real sweet. So I had to say that, yes, my vote is for Elijah. Now, when they, this is verse seven, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, who's going to come up out of the abyss? Satan. He will make war against these two and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city which is spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. Why is he calling uh, Jerusalem, Sodom and Egypt? We know it's Jerusalem because he says, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, making merry and sending gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on earth. So, the text tells us that these are finally gonna be killed, Satan's gonna come up from the abyss, he's going to kill them, and they're going to be denied the kind of burial that a Jew is given. A Jew, uh, an Orthodox Jew, (laughs) dies and is buried on the same day. And this text specifically tells us they're gonna be left out there for three and a half days on the streets of Jerusalem. And everybody's going to rejoice. Why is the whole earth rejoicing? Because these have been bad dudes. They're going to all be happy that the plagues are over with, all the killings stop with the flamethrower mouths and all that. And they're going to throw this party, according to John, and they're going to exchange gifts like it's Christmas time. So excited that they're they're now dead and gone. And it says that everyone is going to, it says, then those from the people's This is verse 9. Tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies for three and a half days. When I was a boy, we talked and wondered how in the world the whole earth could see an event at the same time. Boy, it is easy now, but it wasn't easy in 1962. We sat and we imagined that someday there would be a way... That you could be able to see something going on on the other side of the world. Anybody else in here old enough to have wondered those things? Marty, shaking your head. Yeah, Kathy on the back row. You're not old enough to know that. But anyway, you can go online right now to geocam.ru/slash online Western Wall. You can watch people walking to and fro in front of the Western Wall this very second. Online. I just put on their webcams in Jerusalem. They're all over the place. So everybody's going to be able to watch these two, just like the Bible said 2,000 years ago. No one's known how this could be possible until our generation. Isn't it exciting to be alive right now? We are seeing things that the world has only wondered about. I just think it's incredible. But the big there's always a button in there, isn't there? After three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. This is what we see back in Genesis, the nefesh, okay? That's the Hebrew word for it. But the breath of God, the neuma, I guess, of of God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. So the whole world is watching while God brings these two guys back from the dead. Amen. Amen, yes. And great fear fell on those who saw them. That means the whole earth is going to go, oh my gosh, they're back here again. What's going to happen now? And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. So the whole world is going to watch as God calls his two witnesses right off the streets of Jerusalem and they're going to ascend into glory in front of the whole world. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. And in the same hour, there was a great earthquake. So as they ascend into heaven... An earthquake is going to strike Jerusalem, and a tenth of the city is going to fall. And in that earthquake, 7,000 people are going to die. And look at this, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. So we know from this that even though many, many will reject him, as we saw on Wednesday night with all those plagues, there's going to be many, many, many who come to a saving knowledge of Jesus at that very moment. And the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. If you've ever heard the Handel Hallelujah chorus, it goes on and on. And he shall reign forever. Forever and ever. Sorry, my voice is kind of rough these days. He will reign forever and ever. It's going to be forever and ever and ever. The seventh angel is now sounding. Remember, we've done six angels so far. And these loud voices are saying, And he shall reign forever and ever. That's the hallelujah chorus. And the 24 elders that we saw up in the beginning of Revelation, who sat before God on their thrones, fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come. And those are the lyrics that we sang this morning as we sang the Revelation song. Isn't that sweet, guys, that we can sing these things and they're literally going to come to pass because you have taken your great power and you have reigned and the nations were angry and your wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged that you should reward your servants and the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name small and great and should destroy those who destroy the earth and then John sees something in heaven which is I guess the true temple then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple and i don't think it's the ark that we think of you know the ark that was made that moses made that was patterned after an ark, I guess, in heaven, okay? It makes us wonder about all the Indiana Jones and the, and the ark and all that. I love those stories. And I've looked into all the details where uh, the Ethiopians say that they have the ark there that was brought to them, you know, a couple of thousand years ago. And then there's some that say that the Jews know exactly where the ark is in Israel. I don't know. But the real ark is the one that's in heaven. Amen. And John looks up and he sees it. And everything else that's on earth is just a shadow of that. And he said, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings and noises and thunderings and great hail. So what is the big idea here today? The big idea, to quote Dr. House, is that God has a plan and he's working it out. I'm just bringing it up, Doc, because you say that often to us at the men's group on Tuesdays. God has a plan and he's working it out. How wonderful that he gave each of us in here an opportunity to be part of his plan. When we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we're assured a place not only in heaven for eternity, but we're also presented with an inheritance that we enjoy right here as we submit our lives to Christ. That we have an identity in Christ. We have certain authorities because we are in Christ. We share those with him right here on planet earth as we live in submission to him so i the big idea for me today is that god has a plan and he's working it out that's the big idea the little ideas are that it's going to involve the rebuilt temple and it's also going to involve two witnesses that come and they're going to be like superheroes and so i just think it's it's fun this for me was a delightful chapter to look at as we go through some the slog through some of this and I just wanted to share those thoughts today that, you know, and don't go and say, well, pastor says it's Elijah and Moses. I just kind of think it will. And one reason that I, I came up with that is when the lawyer came to Jesus and he said, what is the greatest commandment? Do you remember what Jesus told him? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself on these two hang all of the law and the prophets when we think of the law who is called the lawgiver? moses when we think of the prophets who's the super prophet it's elijah so i'll leave you with that you can speculate whomever you think it is i won't be mad at you we're not going to dis fellowship uh, what we believe about this won't keep us out of heaven nor will it take us to heaven the only thing that will take us to heaven is to put your faith and your trust in he who will reign in him who will reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. Brother Scott, you wanna close us in prayer and lead us in our last